My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at, at Woodland Hills Church. It's really good to see all of you here this morning as we come together and get some kingdom training and worship together. We're going to, you know, after the message, have a time of worship and prayer. Uh, so we'll be getting back to that um, after we uh, deliver the word. Before we get to the word, we're uh, going to return now to the book of Luke. We just study the Bible and go verse by verse, take a break here and there to talk about other topics, but pretty much just kind of go through the Bible. So we're studying the book of Luke in this season of our church's existence. And so far, the season is about four or five years old. And we're up to chapter 16. And so uh, we'll be reading 13 verses here. This is probably the strangest parable that Jesus ever told. It's, it's, it's a little odd. But it's also incredibly powerful. Um, I, I want to entitle this message, Shrewd for the Kingdom, because it's about being shrewd, prudent, wise, clever for the kingdom. And it's just a powerful word. In fact, I, I feel a, a real sense of uh, earnestness, importance, even urgency about this one. So I really want, to be, want you to be paying attention. I feel like this is just a word for us that we really need to zero in on and, 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 and give it our, our heart and our mind. Before I even start reading the verse, I want to pray. So, Father, we ask, God, that you bring your kingdom with this message. We have no trust in human wisdom or in eloquence or any of that silliness. Our trust is in what you can do with words that are uttered. And we're asking you to infuse these words, however they come out, with your authority and with your anointing and with your spirit to impact us and to change us, God. Protect us from our intellectualizing of things, to make stuff just about information. But, Lord... uh, Help us to lower our defenses to let this one in, to let this one in and change the way we live, that our lives would reflect the light of your beauty and kingdom, and that you could use us to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. I have here a nice thermos. Stainless steel thermoses. Someone gave it to me. They didn't put their name on it, so I don't know who gave this to me. Thank you, whoever gave this to me. Uh, it's called Clean Canteen because they noticed I use a lot of water bottles up here, and uh, water bottles fill up waste space and are not biodegradable. So they said this is much more friendly to the earth. So thank you. Uh, now there's a there's a running bet on how long I'll have this before I lose it, and the odds makers are saying one to two weeks, but I'm going to try to defy those odds. Okay, I'm going to read 13 verses here. I'll make a comment after every couple of verses or every verse, and then uh, we'll apply it to our life here. This is kingdom training time here, folks. Verse 1, it says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Rich people in the first century would often take their smartest and brightest servant and train them on how to do finances and put them in charge of all their finances. It was a, a very prestigious position for a servant to be put in. But this particular servant, who is now managing the household, he was accused of wasting possessions. It doesn't mean he was actually wasting possessions, but he was accused of that. Uh, and when it says he was wasting possessions, it doesn't mean he was being dishonest with them. It could just mean that he was accused of being incompetent. But be that as it may, the rich person apparently believed this accusation because this guy is about to get canned. So in verse 2 it says, So he called him in, the rich guy called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? 
Give me an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The rich guy wants the manager to give an account, not to find out whether the rumor is true or not, because he already has made his decision. The guy's going to be fired. He wants him to give an account because he wants to take that inventory and give it to somebody else to manage the, the, the household. So in verse 3, it says, The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now remember, in the first century, there's no safety nets. You don't have Social Security. You don't have unemployment or anything of the sort. So if you lose your job... Basically, your options, uh, unless you're wealthy, your options are uh, you either do manual labor or you beg. And this guy apparently wasn't strong enough to do manual labor, and he didn't want to beg. So he comes up with a very clever way of making some friends very fast. Verse 5, so he called in each one of his master's debtors, people who owed the master money. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Now, 900 gallons of olive oil would have been worth approximately 1,000 denarii, and a denarii was a a day's wage for the average worker in the first century. So you're talking here about three years of wages for the average person in the first century. That's a big debt. So the manager says, here's the thing. I'll cut you a deal. Cut it in half. You can imagine this debtor would be a pretty happy camper right about now. And then in verse 7 it says, Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. A thousand bushels of wheat uh, would have equaled anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000 denarii. So you're, so you're looking at approximately 8 to 10 years uh, average wages in the first century. That's a huge debt. In this case, the manager knocks off a fifth of it. He probably knocked off less because the the debt was so big and because of the kind of material he was dealing with. But still, this debtor would have been a very happy camper. That's a sizable reduction. In verse 8, it says, The master, once he found out too late what was going on, he commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind Than are the people of the light. The word shrewd here, phronomos, it simply means to be clever and prudent, to have foresight. The master commended the manager for being clever, prudent, having foresight. He was shrewd. He doesn't commend him for being dishonest. I imagine he was pretty mad about that. But as mad as he was, he says, You, you're you're a smart cookie. You, you, you looked ahead, you saw what was coming, and before you lost it, you used it to your advantage so that you're not going to find yourself out on the street, but rather you have people who will welcome you into their homes because you've made friends with them. Jesus now is going to tell the people of light that we're to be shrewd in that same way, having foresight, being prudent, being clever. And so he says in verse 9, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, when your worldly wealth is gone, not if it's gone, because it's going to go, that's certain. When it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. People of light are to think about the coming kingdom the way this manager thought about a future place to stay. 
And we're to act now, before we lose everything, we're to act now in light of the fact that we know it's all passing away and we know this future kingdom is coming. We're to be shrewd like the manager was shrewd. And then in verse 10, Jesus expounds on this point when he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you're faithful in the little bit of wealth that you have now, and however much you have, it's very little compared to to what is coming. But if you're faithful in the little bit of wealth you have now, you'll inherit much more later on when the kingdom comes. But if you're dishonest, duplicitous, unfaithful with the little bit of wealth you have now, you won't inherit a lot when the kingdom comes. And then in verse 11, Jesus says, And if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? And if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If we prove ourselves untrustworthy with the false riches of worldly money, we can't be trusted with true riches later on. And if we're not trustworthy with someone else's property here and now, we won't inherit our own property later on. And the someone else's property obviously is referring to God. All the property we think we have belongs to God. And he's entrusted it to us to manage it according to his will. And whether we do so or not, whether we're trustworthy with someone else's property, trustworthy with God's property, will determine whether we inherit our own property later on when the kingdom comes. And then Jesus says in verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you've got to know this, you cannot serve both God and money. Okay, let, let me say a word about uh, interpreting parables, and then we'll chunk this thing down. When you're interpreting a parable, it's very important, because I've seen this parables abused quite a bit. Uh, people use it to teach very bizarre things, because they don't understand how to interpret a parable. A parable is a little bit like a joke. When you tell a joke, the whole point of the joke is the punchline, and everything else is there just to set up the punchline. That's kind of how a parable is. Uh, a parable has a punchline. It has a central point And that is really the only point. Everything else is set up as a prop to the main point. So this parable is not trying to teach us how we're to manage our businesses. Uh, It's rather telling us how we're to be shrewd uh, and, and thinking about the coming kingdom. The whole point about the dishonest manager is just a prop to make the main point, which is not about dishonesty, but it's about shrewdness. When interpreting a parable, pay attention to the main point, and that's really the only point you're supposed to get from it. The punchline of this parable is in verse 9. And Jesus expounds upon the punchline in verses 10 through 13, but verse 9 is the punchline, and it says this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's the punchline. And so let's unpack it a little bit. Jesus refers to money as worldly wealth. Now, the word worldly here is adikia. Adikia. It's a combination of the prefix a, which means not, and dikaios, which means righteous or just. And so the phrase literally means uh, unjust wealth or unrighteous wealth. And what Jesus is saying here is this. 
all the wealth of this world is unrighteous. It's unjust. And as always, Jesus is right. Every dollar you have in your pocket has been tainted with injustice. The whole world economic system is permeated with injustice. Uh, it, it runs and has always run on, on greed and exploitation. Uh, every dollar you have in your pocket, unless it's fresh off the press, which is very unlikely, it's had a long journey to get to your pocket. And in the course of that journey, somebody along the line has used it to further greed and to exploit others. And so all money is tainted with this unrighteousness and this uh, uh, injustice. And yet Jesus doesn't say, therefore, don't touch money. Uh, If you want to only use clean dollars, well, then you're going to have to move to a different planet because there ain't no such thing down here. We're in a fallen world system. Jesus doesn't say, therefore, don't touch unrighteous money. What he says is, since you're people of the light, don't cling to unrighteous money because you know that it's unrighteous. Instead... Be shrewd, be wise, use it in ways that further the kingdom. The way to be wise is to think about your unrighteous money the way this manager did. Uh, Have clever foresight into what is passing away now and act on it before it passes away. This manager saw that he was going to lose his position, he's going to lose his power, he's going to lose his income. He saw that all that was passing away. And so while he still had a little bit of it, Before he lost it, he used it in a wise way to make friends so that when he lost everything, he had some place to go and he wasn't thrown out on the street. So too, kingdom people, those of us that Jesus calls the people of the light, we know that all the money we have is unjust and we know that it's all passing away and that everything is passing away. And so what Jesus is saying is be wise and use this passing away stuff. Use this unrighteous stuff to make friends of the coming kingdom so that when everything does pass away, as it most certainly will, we have friends to welcome us into eternal dwellings. Now, he's speaking uh, analogically. He's using an analogy here. We can't press this for literal details. We're not literally cutting a deal with God and cutting a deal with the angels. We're not buying friendship with God or buying friendships with the angels or anything of the sort. But what, what, what Jesus is saying is this. If we're people of the light, that has got to be reflected in how we steward God's resources. If we're people of the light, it's got to be reflected uh, in the fact that we're friends of the coming kingdom. And that adjusts everything that we do and it adjusts all of our spending. Our, the, the way that we manage this unrighteous money has got to look different from the people of the world that Jesus contrasts us with in this parable. People of the world are very shrewd in using money to acquire benefits for themselves in the here and now, as though this was the whole story. That's how they live. That's shrewd. But people of light, we know this is not the whole story. It's passing away. And so in light of that, we have to be shrewd in acquiring friends in the coming kingdom that will benefit us later. People of the world are very shrewd in using unrighteous money to acquire as much luxury and comfort and security and wealth as possible here and now. But people of the light, we know that it's all passing away, and so we need to be shrewd, like this manager was, in storing up treasures in heaven, which is the coming kingdom. And people of the world, they typically act as though they own their own money and they manage it however they want. And they're shrewd at acquiring more of it. But people of the light, we know that it's not our money. It all belongs to God. And so we have to be shrewd in managing it the way he wants us to manage it. 
manage it according to his will and according to his character and according to his purposes. We're to always remember that if, if we're, we prove ourselves to be faithful in the little bit of wealth we have now, he'll entrust us with much more wealth later on. And if we prove ourselves trustworthy with all this false riches, all, all these, the false richness of this world, he'll entrust us with the true riches of the eternal kingdom later on. And if we're faithful in managing God's property now, we'll inherit our own property later on when the kingdom is fully come. And people of the world, they serve the master of unrighteous money. Money drives just about everything in this fallen world. The, the central question most Americans live in, at least when it comes to spending, is, do I want it, can I afford it, and will it benefit me? And that's normal for people of the world. But people of lights, we're to always remember that we serve one master and we cannot serve two masters. We don't serve the Lord of money, we serve the Lord God, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we're not to live in the question, do I want it and will it benefit me? We're to live in the question, does God want it and will it benefit the kingdom? We live in a totally different framework than the people of the world. So the question this parable really forces us to ask, and we've got to ask it honestly, with ruthless honesty. And that is this. Are we, in fact, being shrewd with this unjust money? Are we, in fact, being shrewd with how we manage God's property? Are we using our wealth, which is passing away, to make friends in heaven to welcome us when it all does pass away? The reality is that most Americans are not shrewd by kingdom standards. They're very shrewd by world standards, but we're not on the average, on the whole, shrewd by kingdom standards. The average American lives a lifestyle that is four times that the global average. At the same time, the average American spends 97 to 98% of our income on ourselves. And we feel like we're being very sacrificial with the 2% or 3% that we give away. And that statistic, by the way, includes professing Christians. Now, by world standards, that's smart. That's shrewd. Look it. You're lucky. You were born here or somehow got here. You weren't born in Haiti. Those poor suckers just got to deal with what they got. We got lucky. We won the pre-existent lottery, and here we are. And so we're going to cash in on our good luck. I mean, well, you know, from the world perspective, this is all there is anyways, and we can't make the world a fair place, so let's just cash in on our good luck and live in as much luxury, comfort, security, and wealth as we can. That's shrewd by the world standards. But see, by the kingdom standards... That is profoundly stupid. By kingdom standards, that is idiotic because you're not thinking ahead. You're not thinking ahead. You're acting like you're going to have this forever, like this was the whole story. You're not thinking ahead. Soon all of this is going to be gone. Soon it's all going to pass away. And the question is, is, will you have friends to welcome you in an eternal dwelling when it does all pass away? What is shrewd by kingdom standards is to manage God's resources in a way that reflects his love, that reflects his outrageously generous character, that reflects his purposes. What is shrewd is to know that everything belongs to God and it's all passing away. It's all tainted with unrighteousness, so we don't want to cling to it. What's shrewd is to remember that the kingdom that is coming will never pass away. And the most important question in existence is, are we a friend of that coming kingdom or are we not? And we manifest that by how we steward these worldly resources here and now. That's the point of this parable. Now, I want to apply it in an even more concrete, practical way. Uh, just briefly giving three words that I felt God put on my heart. 
about applying this to us here this morning. And uh, those who are listening by podcast or television, apply it to your situation. The first word is about this season that we're entering in, this Christmas season. As of Friday, we are officially in the most worldly season of the year, the holiday season. Uh, It is a season where your typical consumerism has taken steroids, uh, and things are just in overdrive. And the irony is that it's all supposed to be commemorating the birth of Jesus, who warned us about the dangers of riches and taught us never to chase after things. But this is the season for chasing after things. Now, it is nice to give presents that are meaningful, that reflect uh, what another person means to you. That is fine. But at the same time, folks, kingdom people, we've got to realize that there's a principality and power that is playing us. Uh, The whole economic system that we're a a part of reduces us to consumer units and reduces us to being mice on a treadmill chasing the elusive dream of, of material wealth. And during this season, the cheese is made three times bigger and brought a little closer and put on sale so the mice run three times faster. And in light of what happened this week, it's almost literal. That poor guy in New York was stampeded to death when he opened up the doors of his store and the consumers rushed in there to get the best deal and trampled the poor guy to death. Then there's that shooting that took place. I don't know if you heard about this at a Toys R Us. Some people were fighting over the last Xbox or something and they pulled out guns. I'm thinking Jesus isn't happy about the way some of us are celebrating the Christ, uh, his, 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 his birth. The mice are running fast and furious despite this economic Uh, crisis that we're in. Kingdom people, we have got to wake up to the reality of this and we've got to prayerfully and seriously consider what does it look like for a person of the light to commemorate the birth of Jesus? What does it look like for a kingdom person to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Is it really kingdom? Is it really manifesting light? If we spend hundreds and some of us thousands of dollars buying stuff for people who don't really need it, is that kingdom? Um, Especially in light of the fact that right next to us or in all over the world, there are people who don't have the basic necessities of life. What is the kingdom way of celebrating, commemorating the birth of Jesus? We need to remember it's God's money and we've got to be shrewd about how we manage it. He may want us to give nice presents to our friends and to our family, but I guarantee you he doesn't want us to be a cheese chaser. He doesn't want us to be a treadmill runner. He's calling on us to get off of the treadmill. One of the ways the treadmill runs is like this. We get caught into this have-to, got-to, buy somebody something. Oh, I got to get Uncle Charlie a present, even though we haven't talked for five years, but he always gets me a present, so he gets a $100 gift, so I have to buy a $100 gift, and and now there's no joy in it. You're not giving out of the the, the heart or anything like that. It's it's a supposed to, got-to. We've got to break that cycle. That's largely how this whole system runs. We end up buying a bunch of stuff for people who don't need it. (laughs) Kingdom people, we can do better than that. Maybe it's time for us to step off the treadmill and maybe explain to Uncle Charlie and family and friends why we're stepping off the treadmill. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to do anything or give anything, but maybe it means we're going to cut back real significantly. And now you have a chance to explain why and, and, and manifest a little bit of gospel truth in their lives. Just to sit down and say, you know what, instead of doing that, we're going to put our money in, in some, some other areas. Thank you for graciously letting us off the hook on buying that typical annual $100 gift for you. Uh, maybe it means being, uh, being shrewd in the kind of gift we give people. We always have to give stuff. That's easiest to give sometimes, but, but, but let's, be, let's be wise about this. 
Can you give gifts that actually in some way incorporate the kingdom uh, into the gift? For example, maybe you give a family that you love uh, the gift of going out to a concert or something so they have family time together. Or maybe you offer your services to that couple that never gets out because they have these young kids and you offer to babysit once a month for the coming year. What a beautiful kingdom gift. And now you're building relationships or you're helping people spend time together that is a kingdom way of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And, and we need to submit all of God's resources back to him and say, God, how would you have me use these resources, which are yours, to manifest your light during this holiday season? Uh, be shrewd, be wise. This is all passing away and the kingdom is coming. Uh, prayerfully consider taking some of your budget, your present budget, your pre- budget in the present and budget for presents, and and ask God, how much of this should you maybe not spend on buying stuff for people who don't need this stuff, but rather investing in people who really do need stuff? We have at Woodland Hills Church a number of ministries to the poor, and I just want to throw those out to you. In fact, at the end of the service, I encourage you to pick up this red uh, handout we have, this uh, piece of paper that has all sorts of ministry opportunities here to serve the poor. Um, and and uh, some of these are, are Woodland Hills Ministries. Some of them are outside of Woodland Hills Church. But take that and prayerfully consider how God would have you manifest the truth of Christmas uh, by giving to the poor and, sa- and, and, and sacrificing for people who really do have needs. A few of the ministries are these. We have an Adopt-A-Family program, which is just uh, taking on a family at Woodland Hills Church that is poor and can't provide gifts for their kids, and you say, we'll supply those gifts. There's the Hamming, Hamming It Up program, the Hamming Up Ministry, which is uh, you buy ham and turkeys for people in the Christmas season who can't afford ham and turkeys. Uh, we've got the food shelf where we stock food to uh, minister to people in the congregation who, who go through a food crisis. And uh, they'll be renovating that on December 14th, and we need help. And a great time to bring kids and help uh, serve the poor by renovating the food shelf. Uh, we have the Puente de Vida ministry, which is the Latino church that meets here at Woodland Hills Church. They celebrate the Feast of Epiphany uh, in January. And uh, many of these families are poor and can't afford to give any gifts to their kids. And so we supply some of the gifts uh, for these kids. A great ministry to invest in. You have the Lift Ministry, which is working with inner city youth. And, and there's the opportunity to donate to that and to volunteer time and services at that program. We have Alpha City Corps, which is a ministry of Woodland Hills Church, uh, which is uh, Christian guys who are coming out of alcohol or, or substance abuse. And they, they, they live in a house together and have discipleship. And they're in need of holiday meals. They're in need of, uh, of clothing. They need books to sell. That's how they support this ministry. They need a van for transportation. If someone's got an extra van, they could donate. Uh, great opportunity. And then you have Providence Ministries, which we saw a little bit earlier in this uh, message or in this service that uh, ministers to kids in Haiti. And right now they're looking to renovate their foster home, which is in need of repairs. And they're also raising money to support kids to go to school. Uh, if, if the money comes in, these kids go to school and have a chance of getting out of this cycle of poverty. If the money doesn't come in, the kids don't go to school. It really is that simple. So there's tremendous opportunities here for, for people of light to do Christmas in a different way. And this doesn't mean you totally shortchange your loved ones, but it does mean that you take very seriously the call to swim upstream a culture that is manifesting consumerism on steroids. And parents, be shrewd. What better gift could you possibly give your kids than to manifest uh, the beauty of giving during this holiday season? To say, kids, I know that in the past we've, we've had a budget of $300 a piece or whatever it might be, but, but this year we're going to give you one gift. And here's why. And then you show them a picture. You bring them in on this. Uh, these people don't have anything. 
And, and so we want to, you know, can we together sacrifice to support this family or to support this ministry and to show them the beauty of that best gift you could possibly give your kids uh, during the Christmas season. So the first word is a word about this season. Be shrewd. People of the world will do Christmas one way, but people of light should do it in a very different way. The second word is a word about the black horse. Some of you will remember about two years ago, I mentioned this in a message, that we had gotten a prophetic word about a black horse that is coming. We really didn't know what this is about. Um, and, you know, we've been you know, praying over this and kind of pondering it since then. Uh, it's a prophetic word that was given to our executive pastor, Janice uh, Rowling, uh, who has a track record of 10 years of getting words and pictures uh, that sometimes come to pass in pretty spectacular ways. So this word has a high degree of credibility to us. And um, the word was, the black horse is coming, prepare and remember God's law. Referring to the royal law, God's law of love. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Prepare for this horse and know God's law. Now we've been feeling a, a, a kind of a sense of confirmation that, that this black horse is not a coming revival or anything of the sort. Uh, it, it, it's at least significant enough to mention that the only black horse in the Bible, in the New Testament, is found in Revelation 6. And it's a black horse that brings an economic crisis. The rider has a scale. It's not a scale of justice. It's a scale weighing uh, economic matters. And the people are not able to even buy their basic necessities of life. It's found in Revelation 6. Revelation, the whole book of Revelation, I would submit to you, is not just about about what's going to happen at the end of history. I know a lot of people read it that way. But throughout history, and I think this is the way the book is meant to be read, it denotes patterns of spiritual warfare that characterize all of history, sometimes more, sometimes less. Uh, You know, it it ebbs and flows, but they're patterns of history. And in Revelation 6, here's the pattern. There's four horses. The economic horse is the third horse. But the first horse is a white horse. But it, it, it signifies Satan's victorious reign. At least he makes himself reign as though he was king. But he's on a white horse. It looks good. It looks innocent. And thereby deceives the people. Following that is a horse, a red horse of war. Then comes the black horse of an economic crisis. And then a pale horse that brings death. And these are not necessarily chronological. When you're dealing with apocalyptic literature, like the book of Revelation, it's symbolic, so there can be overlapping here. But this is a pattern that is more or less reflected in different times of history, and we are in this pattern. We are in this pattern. We've had the white horse reigning for quite some time, the white horse of greed, power, nationalism, and debauchery. And and it's looked good, so much so that a lot of Christians actually think that it's all of God. The white horse has been riding free. And now we have the red horse where we're fighting two wars on two different fronts. And now we're in a season of a black horse, an economic crisis, and we're also in a season of a pale horse. They're saying that in the next five years, the poorest 25% of the people on the planet are going to be facing a catastrophic food crisis. And death is around the corner. Let me focus on the black horse for a moment here. The economy is the worst we've had since the Great Depression in the 30s. It's happened suddenly. Who could have dreamed even a year ago that our most basic, the basic structures of our financial uh, institutions would be shaking as they are on the verge of, 
of Tumbling Down, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, City Corps, AIG, Merrill Lynch, Wachovia, all on the verge of tanking. The three major auto industries, all on the verge of, of, of bankruptcy. The government is in a panic. That's why they're pouring almost a trillion dollars and they're trying to prevent disaster and to stimulate this economy and turn it around. We have not, and probably in our lifetime, will not see anything like this. It really is catastrophic. Now, it may be that the economy will miraculously recover. It may be that we've hit bottom and, and it's going to turn around tomorrow. But there are a lot of economists who are saying that that is very improbable. There are some who are saying we're not even close to bottom yet. And that when we do hit bottom, the turnaround is going to be very, very slow. And we may never get back to the level of prosperity that we've had the last several decades. The word for us is to be shrewd in preparing for this black horse and to remember God's law, the law of love. This horse is a disaster economically. Uh, A lot of people are suffering. It brings a lot of hardship, especially to the poor. Uh, We all, many of us know folks who have lost their job. Some of us know folks who have already lost their home. It's bringing a lot of hardships. But if kingdom people, people of light, will respond the right way, this can be used to a tremendous kingdom advantage. Everything the enemy plans for evil, God intends for good. And among other things, this crisis could perhaps finally make us start realizing that we need one another and that we need to bond together and get through this. Uh, It is... Amen. There's a particular word to the middle class and upper class who are hearing this message. The poor tend to know that they need each other. The poor tend to have an easier time being generous in times of crisis. Uh, An easier time than the middle or upper, uh, upper class do. They're used to being pinched. They're used to being inconvenienced. Uh, whereas middle and upper class folks aren't. Uh, Sandra Unger, who runs the Lyft ministry on the east side of St. Paul, um, told us about a lady in her ministry who often can't pay the utility bills and has trouble putting uh, food on the table for her own kids. Uh, She sometimes has to use candlelight and sometimes has to find creative ways of staying warm. But still, when there's somebody she knows who is out on the street, she brings them into her house and opens up her house for them. Because as bad as she's got it, They've got it worse. And so let's just share this. And we may not have a bed to offer you, but there's a corner here that you can stay in. And we may not have really good blankets, but here's a sheet you can put over yourself. We may not have have much food, but we'll we'll, we'll reduce our portions to share with you. But see, us middle and upper class folks, we're not used to being pinched like that. And we tend to regard our stuff as our stuff and protect it very carefully. But here's a a time when the black horse this wild horse is riding, where we need to start asking, we need to learn from the poor and start asking this kind of question with our family, with our friends, with our small group. We need to ask the question, what will we do if one of us loses their job? What will we do if one of us loses their home? What will we do if the car gets repossessed? What will we do if one of us gets sick and can no longer uh, support the family? It's time for us to ask the question seriously, what does it mean for us to have all things in common? What does it mean for us to really carry one another's uh, burdens? What does it mean for us to begin to act like the New Testament church? And see, even if the economy improves miraculously tomorrow, we should still be asking that question. Because that's how we're called to live. Live lives that are independent of one another and not just autonomous and self-sufficient. 
Folks, the word is we need to be shrewd. The horse is riding. We don't know where bottom is. So prepare for this. Begin to act as though it uh, is, is already upon us because as a matter of fact, it is. And prepare for the worst and do that by becoming in, interconnected. Be shrewd about this. And remember God's law, the law of love. Because when we open up our resources and open up our home and open up our time and talents for one another, we're manifesting the law of God. Prepare and remember the law of God. And be shrewd not just for this present economic crisis, but be shrewd in terms of the, the coming kingdom. Always remember that it's God's property and you're just the manager. When times get tough, the ordinary thinking of the world, the pattern of this world, the people of the world, they will cling all the harder. Mine. There's only so many resources to go around, so I'm going to hang on to, to my stuff for me and mine. That's natural. That's shrewd for the kingdom of the world. world, world. We're, we're people of light. And especially during times of crisis, I encourage you to fight that natural self-preservationist instinct and to manifest light. Manifest the character of God. Manifest the ridiculous, outlandish blessing of God that even when you don't know where the resources are coming, you share with those who have it worse than you. You carry one another's burdens. You manifest the law of God, which is the law of love. Which leads to my third point. And that is this. It's a word about our trust. The reason we have trouble doing that, especially those of us that are middle class and upper class, is because we have trouble trusting God. Now, we say we trust God, but we really trust our ingenuity, our shrewdness in making money and in protecting our money. We're self-sufficient. We're called to trust God. Until we can really trust God, we're going to have a hard time really being risky with our stuff. And really manifesting the law of love with our stuff. Really living in outrageous generosity with our stuff. Isaiah says this. It's a prairie praise. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. He's saying this at a time when Israel is about to be attacked by Assyria and a lot of people are going to be slaughtered. But the promise still holds. Whatever the situation, however dire it may be, he will keep us in perfect peace if our trust and confidence is steadfastly in him. We are called to be a people who seek first the kingdom of God and trust that God will take care of us because our life belongs to him and all the stuff belongs to him. So it's in his interest to, 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 to meet the, the basic needs. We may not get all we want, but that's okay. We're not called to get everything that we want. We're called to trust in him and to use our life and to use our resources to further his purposes in this world. It all belongs to God. It's all unrighteous and it's all passing away. But a kingdom that will never pass away is coming. And everything we do and everything we buy and how we steward these resources has got to be done with a view towards that. That is being shrewd. That is being wise. But it presupposes that we're trusting in God. We're to be totally dependent on him. And for that very reason, we're to be interdependent on one another. That's the word from Luke 16 as it applies to us here in America in this season of the black horse. I want to call the worship team up here. And here's what we're going to do. Um, we'll uh, go into another time of worship. And I want to encourage you during this time of worship to be so focused. Put out everything else and become totally dependent on God. Keep your eyes on God. Envision Jesus as we're singing these songs and enter into deep worship to call down the presence of God. And we'll start by worshiping God by taking up an offering. And that we just ask people to obey God and how you steward God's resources. He'll tell you 
who to give what to, he'll direct you. Just follow the leadings of, of the Spirit. And then when that's done, I'll come back up and uh, uh, give instruction about how we're to uh, do this uh, worship and prayer time. But Lord, right now, we just want to confess that everything we have belongs to you. Help us to be wise, not stupid. Help us to be shrewd in the ways of the kingdom, not the ways of the world. Help us, Lord God, to genuinely and authentically ascribe worth to you and your kingdom by how we steward your resources. And help us be a people who are centered on perfect peace because our minds are steadfast on you. Our hope, our trust, our salvation, our redemption, everything is rooted in you and in you alone because you are our master and nothing else and no one else. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward, the prayer teams to come forward. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to open this up to the Holy Spirit and uh, go into a, a time of worship. Uh, one of three things can happen here. One, you may be called, or you may feel like you, there's a need in your life that you would like to have prayed for. I encourage you to come forward as everyone else is worshiping and, and pray with these folks. It can be about the subject matter today. Maybe you have a hard time surrendering your finances Uh, Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's a different kind of a spiritual issue. It can be anything. But I encourage you to come forward and receive prayer from these folks. This is the body ministering to the body. The rest of us, I want us to be worshiping God, focusing on Him. I I call you to be intense, to call down the power of God. And God may lead you to pray for some of the folks that are coming up here. Take a break from the worship and this. Pick out a person and just from where you're sitting, pray for them. Maybe you want to raise your hand towards them. But be part of the body ministering to the body. So come forward as you feel the need or desire. Worship God. Pray for one another uh, as the Lord leads you. You can sit during the worship time. You can stand during the worship time. It really doesn't matter. But Lord, right now we're asking that you draw our face and our attention and our hearts and all that we are to you, to focus exclusively on you. And Lord, come down, minister to your people. Manifest your kingdom glory. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a sweet presence in this place. And God's touching some folks here. We're not going to close the service until God says to close the service. Uh, as long as you, if there are folks who still want to come forward for prayer, I encourage you to do that. If you want to stay and just worship the Lord, I encourage you to do that. If you want to stay and just pray for people where you're sitting, I want to encourage you to do that. When you feel it's time to leave, I encourage you to do that. Though I ask you to take the conversations out into the gathering area uh, so to keep the sense of uh, attention here uh, in, in this service. I encourage you to pick up that red sheet that uh, has those ministries to the poor. And I encourage you to be shrewd. Be shrewd. All this is passing away. Passing away in a blink of an eye. Don't feel bad about it, though. This is all screwed up anyways. Something is coming that lasts forever. Something is coming, a kingdom that finally reflects God's will and God's ideal for humans and the whole of creation. So Lord, as we leave this place, direct us, those who are supposed to come forward, those who are supposed to stay, those who are supposed to leave, but make us shrewd, make us wise, give us your heart for the poor, to live with outrageous generosity, stewarding your resources according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.